This is Jim Cowan from the Collaborative for Student Success, and this is the Route K-12 Exploring Education Recovery Podcast. Each week, we travel the country on a kind of road trip to talk about the ways federal recovery dollars are being used in states to reshape education. Along the way, we're holding up the best examples with the hope that those practices are repeated in other schools. Today, we're talking to Linda Jacobson, senior writer for the 74 Million. The 74 is a national news site dedicated to examining issues impacting the education of America's 74 million children and the effectiveness of the system that delivers it. Hello, Linda. Thanks for having me. So you and I have had a lot of conversations over over the years in your current role with the 74, but also in your other roles, because I should point out that you are also a senior reporter at Education Dive, now K-12 Dive. Um, You wrote for Education Week. And you were also a senior member of the Education Writers Association uh, leadership team. On this podcast, we have had conversations with state superintendents and other leaders from uh, education agencies throughout the country, but you are the first journalist. So congratulations for serving (laughs) that first for us. I'm excited to get your perspective. Um, You have done some great stories. I love your writing style. I love the conversations that we've had in the past about what's important in education. So this should be a good conversation, and I'm glad to have you here. If it's okay with you, I'd like to get right into it. And I guess the first one that I want to start off with you is kind of the elephant in the room, which has been the test scores, the assessment indicators that we've had over over the last several weeks, even months, that it's just, just been this wave of data that's kind of confirming just how severe the disruption's been, right? It's it's talking about uh, the lack of student academic growth, uh, physical well-being, and we've seen data results from everything from the ACT exam, from the NWEA formative assessment, state some of the assessments, and obviously the most recent thing, which is the National Assessment for Educational Progress or the, the NAEP results that have, that have come out. Right. I'll tee this up by saying, like, we knew this was going to be bad, right? Like, I think everyone was sort of speculating, oh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be great news. We thought it was going to be bad. The data confirms it's, it was bad. What now? And I'm kind of curious to hear from you, like, what's the climate like amongst you and your colleagues in the field? How are you approaching this right now? Well, the assessment data definitely, you know, plays a large part in, in what we're writing right now. I think we always try to balance it with families' individual experiences and the way a local principal looks at it, the way a a teacher looks at it. Yeah, there's obviously this consistent theme of decline. There's people are obviously looking for little bright spots here and there. And I talked to somebody the other day who said it was if the last two years didn't happen academically, that their kids were right back where they were, you know, two years ago. I think that, yes, definitely we have to kind of look beyond it and say, okay, what now are districts doing with this money to target those most critical skills that that kids need? I think that we're looking for, obviously, examples of strategies that, that are showing promise, the limitations of some of those strategies, how many yeah. kids is it reaching? And trying to write stories that give families questions that they should maybe ask in their own schools, in their own districts. Do you think there's a there's a danger in us beating the drum so much on the, the negative side of this that we're providing enough of the 
the bright spots? Well, it, it happened. And I don't think we can ignore what the result has been. I think our task is trying to always balance that out with where do we go from here? Uh-huh. And that's why I think we try so hard to connect with people at the local level, the district level, the school level, to hear the nuance in, in what families and what schools are experiencing, what, what are they hanging on as signs of hope and communicating that and going beyond what a district press release might say. Right. You think the parents are receiving the message? I've seen a real push in in recent years and and even over the the past year to deliver this data to families in more accessible ways and making sure, I mean, a lot of advocacy groups are doing that work. There are programs in partnership with schools where they'll kind of walk families through their kids' data and give them a manageable goal to work toward with their kids, trying not to overwhelm them maybe with performance, but here's where we want to see growth. So I think that disconnect where people talk about families not really understanding how their kids are performing or how their kids line up with actual standards. I think there's real work to to try to break through that. And yeah. like I said, I think a lot of advocacy groups are some of the loudest voices yeah. on that. I've been talking with some people about this recently because of this um, kind of constant dialogue around the, the scores that are coming out right now. Mm-hmm. We did a project in two, 2015, we being um, Collaborative and Achieve, called the Honesty Gap. And it, it was a look at how states were doing on their local assessments compared to NAEP scores, particularly we're looking at the proficiency rates, what states were calling proficient and what kids were getting on on NAEP. And that delta, the difference between those two scores, we are saying was kind of how truthful the state was being. That message felt very pertinent when we were talking a lot about standards, accountability, strong systems of measurement. It feels a little misaligned today because the honesty gap today feels more like it's between what school, what, what kids are now bringing home as grades. Like I'm speaking from, you know, focus group of one, my girls are bringing home A's and B's. Are those really A's and B's compared to what we're seeing on, on NAEP results in the state? So is that the new, my question is like, is that more of the new honesty gap compared to the old honesty gap? think there's probably multiple honesty gaps. What grade level performance meant before the pandemic. I mean, my daughter did an entire year remotely, you know, her, her junior year. It was clear that the type of work she was getting was not what it would have been if she was in a classroom. And now she's in her first year of college and it's an adjustment. You know, yeah. and I think I think a lot of families are, yeah, she went back into school for her senior year, but it was the year of, you know, massive teacher shortages and quarantines and, you know, nobody experienced a real 
return, you know, as, as if things had, hadn't happened the way they did. So I think it's comparing maybe what a normal expectation would have been before the pandemic, now coming back into discussions around what are our standards, you know, what what should right. homework look like, what should assignments look like, what what should we be expecting from kids? Along that same line of you and I are both parents, we've been, we've had this window into our, you know, how our kids have been did during the pandemic. We saw it right in front of us. Um that gave us like a really strong perspective on our local schools, how the, the school that was most close to us was, was doing. Um, everything we learned from nationally, how the nation was, was dealing with pandemic came from the stories that we read. Do you feel like, or should I say like, how was it covering those, those stories from a national perspective when you had the local one? you know, that, that was providing you direct information. What was difficult about that? And how did you kind of approach it? During the pandemic, you know, not only did I have that disconnect from people, you know, that I normally would have been able to call on, you know, easily and that adjustment, but I also went from working for a, a news outlet that was mostly focused on administrators to one that is far more in, in the realm of parent stories and parent experiences and for the general public. So I really had to broaden. I mean, I don't cover a single school district anyway, obviously. So most of my work is done by Zoom and phone. And, and yeah. but I definitely had to work harder to expand my network of sources to make sure I could stay in touch with people, the family level at the school level, to get a, a window into how everybody was adapting to this, definitely increasing my contacts with, you know, parent advocacy groups or just community organizations that yeah. I might not have might not have been in my normal sphere, you know, before right. of, of right. sources. And, you know, they've been great. They they've been really willing to always connect us to what we're looking for. Yeah. One of the things that we've been doing is we have this education recovery hub that during the whole latter half of the pandemic, our feeling was that we need to start looking at how states are using these federal dollars and really hold up the things that we think are promising. You know, and, and in the very beginning, you know, the plans were this, there were three lines that would that would sort of describe what this idea was. Well, it looks good, but you know, how do we know it's good? Well, well let's follow it. Let's let's dig into it. Let's let's determine whether it has some, some promise to it. And so that's sort of how we've continued to work along that line is, is trying to see, you know, what is, what is the impact of that? How many kids is it reaching? Is it actually going to make, make a difference? Cause that, that feels hopeful. So there's this, there's this, I guess, tension between identifying the good, but not sugarcoating things too much. Like oh, everything's fine. Cause everything that we hear from the results tells us this is really damaging how, when you are putting together some of your stories, how do you balance that? The hope between the reality? Well, I think these plans sounded really good to yeah. a, a lot of people, you know, a year ago. I think where I hear the frustration is somebody who may have participated in that process, you know, gave their input, gave their recommendations on what they felt students needed, how the money should be spent. 
And now they feel they can't necessarily find out if it's being spent that way. And and I'll, you know, it, it affects us too. I'll go to a district website and they're still, you know, on their ESSER page or whatever, their ESSER landing page, they're still the plan from a year ago yeah. and not much update that is readily available to see how the spending is happening in line with that plan. We're trying right. to do some some work to, you know, kind of follow this out and see, you know, you shouldn't have to go to multiple links to find that or an average, if we can't find it, an average parent, you know, can't find it. And, exactly. you know, parents are having to file record requests to, to learn this yeah. stuff. And yeah. so I, there's obviously variations of transparency across, there's some districts that are, that are doing it better than others, obviously, but you can't tell if the money is, is going toward these needs that were identified if if you can't see the spending, you know. Right. And, you know, we also have a lot of empathy for SEAs and districts who, you know, are dealing with a lot of stuff that's going on at one time. So a plan is a plan. And, you know, once the, once the plan's left the station, I get it when it changes and it needs to be altered. In fact, the best plans are usually the ones who get you started, but they, you don't follow them all the way, all the way through. They're generally like they, they, they evolve, they change. You, right. you use the things that work and you uh, alter the things that don't. And and that's what we're trying to do. And we, and we have had some luck working on that with some of the states as, as far as trying to hold up stories that have evolved, that have, that have changed or, or some of these practices that have been altered over time to, to try to impact poor kids or they've been, they've been adjusted in some way. Let me ask you, I read your story uh, in the crosshairs about the, the school board members. Great piece, by the way. Thank you. And I'm, I guess my first question on it is, how long did it take you to put that together? Because you, you, you brought in a bunch of people for that. So that couldn't have just flown off the shelf. That had to take some time. It, it did not fly off the shelf. <laughs> I started those initial interviews in the summer, like June-ish. And initially, it was just one interview with one superintendent who had been fired not knowing that it was going to turn into a project like that. But after talking to her, I realized that not a week was going by that I wasn't seeing some headline somewhere about a superintendent being fired or, you know, resigning without saying why. And it was just another symptom of this disruption that we've seen over the past two years. Was there anything when you when you wrote that story that you walked away with that gave you pause? I think it connects to some of the other things we were talking about in terms of the spending and the implementation of making good decisions around how to use this money. Because when a superintendent either resigns or is fired, the layers of administration under them, there's often turnover there as well. And these are the people, you know, making the decisions about these contracts and, you know, how the, how the money is, is directed. So I think some of the, it's interesting. I was talking to a union member uh, who was on a bargaining team for a school district the other day. And he was explaining, he was like, there's so many changes and people on the other side of that bargaining table, you know, we've yeah. been, our leadership of the union's been consistent, but, you know, 
every time we go back to the bargaining table, there's somebody new there, or there's somebody, I mean, that has a real impact, you know, yeah. so. Are there some stories that you think are undercovered? Of course. I mean, you know, we can't get to everything. We're, we're a small staff. Um, You're trying you to know, cover we, 74 million we, kids, right? We, we certainly, we certainly try, you know, I think we've been able to uncover some things because of the relationships that we have formed, you know, with, with sources and, you know, even that superintendent story, you know, we could have just rushed out one story about one superintendent, you know, who was fired and had a bad experience. And, but we took the time to really see what this looked like in, in a bigger picture. I mean, everybody was writing about superintendent turnover, you know, turnover yeah. was not the story. This was sort of a slice of, of what was contributing, you know, to that turnover that, that we hadn't seen written about otherwise. And, and, and even researchers really didn't have a handle on it, you know? Right. So that's, you know, one example, I, you know, I think what people appreciate about our coverage is that we bring in some different voices. You know, we bring in more student voice than any place I've ever worked, you know, parent voice for sure. And, you know, like I said, people who don't, people working in the schools who aren't just going to repeat the press release, you know, of a, of a school district that can give us a flavor of what these times have been like. Right. For sure. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time today with, with us. And um, we look forward to reading a lot more of your material. Thank sure you. Be a lot more Thanks for always being uh, very responsive <laughs> to my questions. You're you are welcome. And we're always here for you, Linda. All right. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Linda Jacobson, senior writer at the 74 million. This is Jim Cowan from the Collaborative for Student Success. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Route K-12, Exploring Education Recovery, where each week we showcase ways federal recovery funds are reshaping schools by talking to the people doing the hard work to educate America's kids. Reach out to us at edurecoveryhub.org forward slash Route K-12 or follow us on Twitter at our handle at Student Success.